being a good leader is also listening to others and learning from others. There's, you know, enthusiasm and, and maybe the notion that you don't necessarily know where you're going to go. Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, the cusp show where we talk about the business of sports, media, disruption, ownership, engagement, all different kinds of things. I'm Joe Favorito. My co-host, Tom Richardson, is not here today, but I am joined by our producer, occasional host, and student, Mike Schredder. Mike, welcome back. Thanks, Professor. It's good. I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be interviewing these two guests. I've known both of them for a little while now, being in the program, and they both have really unique sports backgrounds. So really excited to be back on and uh, help you out a little bit and let's produce another good episode. Cool. So we're here uh, towards the end of November, towards the end of um, yet another semester. And as Mike mentioned, from, a, from time to time, we talk to, which is very, very important, by the way, some of our current students who have really unique backgrounds. And today we're joined by two who come from different areas um, with really interesting stories. And we want to hear from them about what, how they got here and also kind of get their POV and a bunch of things that are going on in the industry now. So, Mike, why don't you do the intro this time? Sure. So uh, the, the two guests today, we got Summer Brown. Uh, she is a full-time first-year student here at Columbia, and she also has interned for the Thunder and the Wizards uh, within the NBA circles. And Oren Lopez-Reed is a second-year member of this Columbia University Sports Management, and he owns his own soccer team in Austin, Texas, which now has moved up to the the second division of uh, USL. So that's pretty exciting stuff. It was just announced recently by Columbia University Sports Management. So Oren and Summer, thank you so much for joining the Cusp Show. Thank you for having me. From cool. So Oren, why don't you kind of? Uh, I don't know how many owners we have in the program, or we've ever had in the program. We've had some guests who are owners, uh, but tell us a little bit about the club, how you got there. Obviously, a huge, growing overall sports market in Austin, um, um, and you know we could talk a little bit about the pyramid, and then Summer will get to kind of your journey and and how you got here, which is also pretty unique. So Oren, start us off. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I had played for the club for about five years. It was uh, operating in about the fifth division. It's called the Gulf Coast Premier League. Uh, it was a regional league spanning Texas to uh, Florida. And, you know, it was it was a great level, lots of international players. Uh, and I had noticed, you know, that even these tiny clubs had several hundred fans sometimes at, at all the games, um, especially in Louisiana where there's no professional soccer. So when I was, when I got into the program, I was uh, speaking with the owner and I was like, so what do, you, what do you want like out of this in the end? Um, and he had told me like, obviously, you know, he, he always had visions of, of taking it up a level and eventually maybe going pro, but also kind of becoming more ingrained as a, as a pillar in the community, which it already was, but uh, maybe a little more uh, public in that sense. And so when I got here, I was collaborating with um, a classmate and he was interning at the USL. So he got us connected basically with the USL uh, pretty quickly. And we were able to, you know, hatch together a business plan. Uh, I, when I spoke with the owner, basically I said, I'll, I'll do this for free if you can give me some sweat equity in the in the club and and uh from there it was actually a pretty quick transition to get the okay from the usl 
and and here we are just kind of working on on all the facets of the business trying to make sure uh, we're in a good place heading into summer 2024 when we kick off and uh, we'll actually open up USLW which is uh, women's second or third division depending on who you ask um, in, in 2025 as well so very exciting tons of work um, I'm a little a little scared but I'm also super excited um, but yeah it, it's it's a lot simpler than I would have thought to actually um, find myself here but it's I, I think it's also an undertaking that uh, requires you know enthusiasm and, and maybe the notion that you don't necessarily know where you're gonna go so okay so so let's back up does the club have a name which you didn't mention <laughs> yeah uh, it's Hill Country Lobos so it's uh centered it operates just in kind of south austin area uh between austin and san antonio which is known in in the uh in the region as the hill country so uh it's supposed to be kind of like emblematic of the region embracing that like hyper locality that the usl really tries to drive home um you know it's it's we're not trying to be the austin team we're trying to be the team of, of that region just below uh which is home to to two of the fastest growing counties in the in the entire united states so excited about that Okay, stadium size and and where are the players from? So one thing I want to take a step back is you mentioned the fifth tier of soccer in this country. I thought the pyramid only had four tiers. So so somewhere that down below there's a fifth tier which I didn't know about, and the fourth tier and our, our colleague Dennis Crowley uh, has been on and has been on campus uh, owns um, Kingston Stockade, which is kind of semi pro, and then you know out of that had already come. Chattanooga Football Club, Oakland Roots, um, um, Detroit FC, which we have alums who work there. Um, and you kind of go up from there. So at the top, and we're talking right now, let's just talk men's soccer. At the top, obviously, you have MLS. A tier below that, you have the USL. Uh, and then there's kind of these other tiers. So, so where where does Hill Country sit in the past? And then where is Hill Country going to sit when the season starts this year? So the USL has three divisions, uh, USL Championship, USL League One, and USL League Two. Okay. Uh, championship and League One are professional. So there's three professional tiers in the United States. Uh, and Lobos is going to be playing in USL League Two, which is kind of the the premier semi-professional league in, uh, in, in the country. So it's it's moving up from a regional league into a national league. Um, that that operates semi-professionally uh and the makeup of the players as you asked is predominantly local uh dotted with some some international in many ways from kind of the the profile of other usl2 clubs so typically they try to to draw mainly from d1 d2 colleges uh but we're we're trying to defer in that sense by uh drawing on on the local population as much as we can and as well as the the immigrant international population uh, that's that's growing in the area too makes sense um and then stadium size where will you play uh so at the moment it's in bob shelton stadium which is uh, a, a high school football stadium which which uh, by the way when you say that in texas that that's a, a thing it's yeah. not like it's not like queens so yeah I was, I was about to say it's uh for them it's you know football is is second only to god um so the stadium is actually pretty advanced i mean the, the locker rooms the the field everything is quite pristine i think if i'm remembering correctly uh it holds like 
10 to 12,000 people. So yeah, it's got a huge press box, kind of a state of the art display, Mm -hmm. um, everything. So it's, it's a great place uh, for us to operate the next few years. Um, Kind of the next phase that we're, we're trying to pitch and find partners for is, is uh, like our our own stadium with a commercial district in the area. Wow. Um, And then taking one step back before we transition to summer, where'd you go to school? Like, how'd you get to Columbia? Um, so I went to school at a at a small uh, school in, in in Austin called St. Edwards University, um, and you know I didn't know I was going to get into Columbia to be honest. I uh, I think it was it was I I did well in my professional work the next few years, um, and then you know I, I think probably that that helps my application a lot more than maybe just going to a small school. Cool. All right. So summer, how'd you get here? Tell us a little bit about your really unique background. And then uh, uh, I've got some questions I'm sure Mike do, does that, that you both can can kind of jump on. For sure, for sure. So um, good morning. Thank you guys so much for having me again. I'm really excited to talk about my sport experience and how I got here. Um, I did graduate from Howard University this past spring. Howard University is a historically black college um, founded in 1867. Just to give you a little historical fact, in comparison to Columbia University, which was founded in 1754, I believe. Um, historically, Black colleges and universities kind of got a later start. They were built as a safe place for African-Americans to get education. As you know, that's been um, something in our country that's been at the forefront um, for, I guess, almost a, over a century now. Um, you know, giving back to African-Americans and giving them opportunities. So when the NBA launched their NBA HBCU fellowship, which was directly giving black college students the opportunity to work in sports, work with the NBA, work in the league office, work across almost all 30 teams. The first year that it was launched, only I think 27 teams participated. Um, I jumped on it right away. I was like, I want to work in sports. I grew up playing tennis. I was a full-time athlete growing up and um, I knew I could see myself in the sports industry. So I hopped on the opportunity. I applied. I was drafted to the Oklahoma City Thunder as a corporate communications intern. And then since then, I've found my way to Columbia University, getting my master's in sports management. Um, In between that little period, I worked in the marketing department for the Washington Wizards as a campus ambassador for Howard University. And I also worked um, full time as an executive assistant for a black female owned PR sports agency. So I worked with a lot of her clients as well. So that's kind of been my transition, my history. And um, tell us a little bit about that path to the thunder like what did you do i mean and how did that kind of play out yeah so the thunder was a corporate communications role and as their corpcom intern i did a lot of um like office communication so i would do their office newsletter and when when doing something around the office and not directly working with the players also it was a summer internship so they were doing the draft and um kind of getting new adjustments made to the team you really get to know the power of networking and working around the office in their corporate office in Oklahoma City, I lived there for a whole summer, was such a blessing and such a great experience because I do love communications, but I was also open up to several other career options that I may be interested in exploring. And at that time, the same summer that I was hired as an intern, their first ever, the Oklahoma City's first ever chief officer of diversity, equity and inclusion was hired. 
um, Natasha Stamper. And at that time, only 18 of the 30 NBA teams had a DEI officer. Some of them weren't even interested in it. Um, now, almost every single NBA team has a DEI officer. And meeting her, another Black woman, um, was just so influential to me, hearing about her work and the way that she wants to diversify the front office of sports, not just what you see on the court, was um, so inspiring to me and actually opened my eyes to something that I want to do in the future, which is DEI and social responsibility. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, Mike, go ahead. You going to say something? Yeah, I, I think just for both of you guys, what I've kind of wanted to know is, you know, what if this program specifically has helped you guys even advance your skill sets more because you guys have accomplished backgrounds so what at this program has helped you guys be able to advance your skill sets more to get more, I guess, experience and feel better about kind of your career going forward? You want to go ahead? Somewhere? Yeah, Warren, go ahead. Why don't you go first? Okay. Um, so, I mean, I majored in, in sports management, uh, but, you know, my professional experience thus far was, uh, you know, at a wine importer. So, uh <laughs> I can see the transition because alcohol has so much to do with sports. It works out very well. Exactly. There's there's a good amount of crossover, uh, but, you know, the one business, even if people say sports is like kind of a, an old fashioned business, the wine import business is about as old fashioned as it gets. You know, uh, basic statistics were, you know, considered ingenious when I was uh, kind of introducing those. So mm-hmm. um, I think just getting complete context in one way of the industry at this point, how it actually operates beyond, you know, some of the undergrad lessons from five years ago has definitely been incredibly helpful and influential. And then, uh, you know, just all of the kind of hard technical skills. Uh, one class I took sports and revenue strategies really just opened my eyes to how quickly you can uh, absorb data and make decisions without having to sit there for 10 hours. You know, it's you, you can, uh, it gives you a framework that you learn from kind of the best in a sense. Uh, you know, these two, I'm taking entrepreneurship in the Byron Munich class with uh, Professor Grant's son. And those are, I mean, in, just incredibly immersive, really in depth and, and give you a ton of context into like how you can succeed in the industry in the future. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very lucky to be here and I'm, I'm, I think it's been incredibly helpful. Summer, Yeah. any, just- al- any alcohol in your background? No. Oh my God. I just turned 22 professor. I just started getting, (laughs) um, I would like to echo what everything that Warren said, just learning really the nitty gritty and the basics, the foundations of sports, but also learning from actual industry practitioners, people that have worked in the sports industry. I'm actually in professor Favorito's class and he brings in every week, an amazing guest speaker, almost every week. Um, I bring one every week. I'm not allowed to do that. So. Not every week. Sometimes we just like listening to Joe, but um, you also have great background. <laughs> um, and they have real life team and league experience that can teach us so much. There's nothing better than hands on actual experience and, you know, getting to know the industry that way. And, you know, I'm a hands on learner. So hearing their experience is just always great for me. Cool. Um, you know, I have an interesting question. This is also for the two of you, because, um, Oren, you touched on the Hispanic needs that that the club is going to have and summer you touched on your hbcu background um the world we are in right now um do you guys see what do you see going forward as opportunities that aren't realized yet for those communities like so where do you see when you close your eyes you look ahead and say man it would be great if five brands marketed to this or i think that there's a great opportunity here that nobody sees yet so summer from your background especially being at howard 
give us a little bit of uh, your 411 on that. Yes, it starts not even just at the college level and at the HBCU, HBCU level, but with Black youth, a lot of young Black men think the only way to make it sometimes would be through playing a sport based on where they're coming from. Um, they're like, I got to play basketball to get to college and pay for college. I got to play football. Um, if they're not going to make it to that level, which most don't, um, there are front office opportunities that I think that they should be able to explore, but oftentimes they don't have access to that just because of um, who they are, where they come from. So initiatives like HBCU fellowships and um, just a whole diversity initiatives give them the opportunity to know that there are other routes to work in sports and be a leader in sports than just, you know, shooting a ball or going. Mm -hmm. Cool. Arn? Yeah, uh, just to kind of echo that, there's, I, th I think there's also tons of opportunities in you know in what I'm doing in the in the lower leagues um, and kind of the the supplemental areas of the sports world. I mean it's it's gigantic when you think about it, and especially uh, like with the USL, all these satellite locations are often in areas that uh, maybe don't have the same level of recognition as you know in New York, LA, Miami, something like that. Um, but they still have communities that are in need, and because it's so uh, close to the community and, and so kind of entrenched in it, uh, it doesn't just become like a professional pathway on the sporting side, but it can also become one, you know, uh, for giving opportunities through college and through high school for internships and obviously becoming part of the front office later down the line um, and, and be, can be that invaluable experience that, you know, before you can get a job at the NBA or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, additionally, there's also the opportunity to uh, provide like kind of a, a nonprofit side of it. And so, you know, we have a separate nonprofit side that that provides like legal services to, uh, you know, uh, unaccompanied minors and, and disenfranchised individuals uh, in the community. So I, I think there's there's many ways to do it. But for me, I, I love the concept of kind of start starting at the, the lower leagues and then moving on up. So, so low leagues, can you talk about the business plan and the budget? And like you mentioned, um, a separate business. So is it, it's set up, I would imagine as a for-profit business. Mm -hmm. So, so how did you go about setting up a business plan to, to make this transition to, to owning a professional team next year? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it was kind of developing a three to five year plan, um, from the beginning. And so what we want to do is, is enthuse the community and, and have these kind of two sporting arms, uh, the men's and the women's side, for the first couple of years, hopefully get that stadium uh, and possibly make a, a transition to League One. But um, at the lower levels, the business model, obviously, broadcasting is not really, really there. So, you know, the, the bulk of your revenue is going to come from um, merchandise, ticketing, and sponsorships, as as you probably know. Um, but I would say really, really honing in on um, the merchandise side of things, even more so than than you know the upper league. So uh, right now we're in like a large. It's been it's been like several months now talking to suppliers, trying to find the the right supplier to launch. You know, a really beautiful jersey that becomes kind of a a brand outside of soccer. So that's. Mm -hmm. I guess from a business model perspective, that's that's what we're trying to be is is a brand, a hyper local brand in that community that 
kind of delves into the lifestyle and isn't just, you know, oh, the soccer team down the road. Cool. And and before we come back to summer, I have a question for you about working at an agency. But so so where does your money come from then? So so did you go out? And, I mean, obviously, if you have a three to five year plan, you got to have money that goes with that. Mm-hmm. So so where did the funding come from? And is it millions? Is it hundreds of thousands? Give it just kind of give us a ballpark. Uh, so so the runway is about two years at the moment. Um, the funding is, is mainly coming from the the primary owner. Okay. Uh, we're searching right now for for supplemental seed funding, essentially. Mm-hmm. But um, we're hoping that because you can start attracting revenue before the costs really start to mount up, uh, we can hopefully get a little bit in the bank and provide mm-hmm. some extra runway. And is it more up, upwards of a million? Is it less than a million? How much? What does it cost to run a, a team? Uh, I would say the budget. I'm, I'm not looking at the, the mm-hmm. cash flow right Just now, right. but it's I think costs for the first year are, are somewhere around 250,000 in total, um, which is a lot less than I thought it would be. But, right. you know, we've, we've really looked at it in depth. We've gone through all the, the line items and, um, you know, there's some, some final pieces to fill in, such as like our supplier, you know, prices are going to change a little bit, but um, overall the franchise fee is, I think it's $50,000, but that's over five years. Um, and then the bulk of the cost comes from like your your coaching staff uh, running youth camps, um, basically all the operations. Right. Got it. Um, Summer, um, Oren talked a little bit about a business. You've worked in some businesses. The difference between that you found working at an agency versus working for a team, both the, the, the Thunder and um, the Wizards. What were the differences and, and which do you like best and what's the best practice you take away from both? Sure. So when I was working with the NBA teams, uh, the material I was mostly working on was communications, um, news packages, newsletters, um, a little bit more of the production side of things. Um, also for the Washington Wizards was a little bit more of the marketing production side of things, hosting events, um, ticket sales and all of that. When I was working for Mainland PR, the sports agency, it was strictly public relations and a lot of um, client-based activities. So I did get to meet um, a couple different sports clients and be enlightened on what they want to come across as their brand. I feel as though the Thunder and the Wizards already had a pretty good idea of how things is going to run and this is what you got to do and um, how that goes. But I got to be more creative um, as an executive assistant for the PR agency. And I got to learn what they wanted to see. I got to come up with ideas and pitch different ideas um, to expand their brand and expand their audience, to expand their brand and expand their audience, um, utilize social media, um, utilize different causes that they were passionate about, um, cause marketing. So I think definitely PR was more client focused with individuals. And then working with the teams was definitely just learning the business of a basketball team and NBA team. Yeah, I think one thing I was going to ask is just kind of for Oren, um, you know, talk about about future growth for your team and like what are the pillars that you're trying to figure out to expand as soccer becomes obviously a really fast growing sport within the United States. Yeah, I mean, to be uh, brutally honest, none of this is going to work unless we can get a stadium in the next few years. Money. It's a shock. It's all about I can't believe it's just about money. 
So anyway, it's yeah. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Um, you know, so that I mean, that's the main thing is is being able to establish kind of like a sporting district in the area. Um, and I mean, the market's actually kind of amazing for it. Uh, it's like I said, it's it's growing rapidly. There's kind of like no central space uh, for for like a really heavily young population to congregate. Um, so you know, outside of just the sporting side, it, it would it, that would be a huge source of revenue generation and, and enterprise value and blah blah blah. Um, but the pillars are are really just about becoming, you know, kind of on the um, benefactor side, like like the a source of of pride for the community, but also uh, you know services. So not just entertainment, but providing you know like legal services and uh, a professional pathway, both on the sporting and the and the business side. So mm-hmm. cool. Summer something that I kind of gathered from your you know talking about kind of your experiences is the idea of like problem solving and trying to you know figure out ways to make an impact. Um, just talk a little bit about just kind of from your standpoint, like where that developed before you even walked into Howard or walked into the NBA, like the idea of problem solving did happen from working at those experiences or did that idea happen even before you walked into Howard? That's a really good question. I think I would always describe myself as a problem solver um, and a leader. I think being a good leader is also listening to others and learning from others. You can learn a lot just by listening and learning from people. I love listening to their experience and just different ways I can open myself up to um, other departments. So um, yeah, I think that being a problem solver is something that's natural and innate in leaders. But definitely working with an NBA team and having to be innovative and creative, I thought of you know different ways to incorporate students into marketing, to incorporate. Um, I did a package on the Thunder Girls, which is Oklahoma City Thunder's um, dance team. They're like, Summer, what do you want to take away from the summer? What do you want to um, do? You want to make a video? Do you want to interview someone? And I was like, what's going on around the office? And it was kind of a dead week, like mid July, nothing was really happening, but they were having their Thunder Girls audition. So I was like, you know what, I'll go film the Thunder Girls auditions, interview a couple returning Thunder Girls, um, the head of the dance team. And I think that was a good idea just to show that I was showing initiative and I was being proactive and, you know, trying to come up with something, be a problem solver. So, so you both have been around uh, athletes, and, and whether it's in this program, people you've played with, teams you've been around. Uh, and we're here the Tuesday before Thanksgiving 2023. Uh, and Summer, this is particularly uh, directed at you because we've discussed this in class. So you have name, image, and likeness now. And one of the, I'll, I'll call it one of kind of the more challenging things that have been has been below the surface is now bubbled up with what's going on with Angel Reese and LSU. And... Um, would be interested in hearing, especially now, Oren, as you're going to go back out into the marketplace with a professional team, could potentially have issues with guys and potentially women looking at you and saying, I can make more money with NIL money staying in school than coming to play for you, you know, certain tier soccer team. So so we'd love the, the POV on both of you uh, on the, the good and the bad that you see if you're a marketer or, or building a team or working at an organization in, in the challenges that NIL faces and maybe the things that, that other people aren't thinking about because you've been around athletes. So Summer, you want to kind of start us off? 
For sure. I think name image likeness is a great thing. I think it's something for athletes to definitely take advantage of. I love the way that Angel Reese has actually put her foot down and said she probably doesn't want to go into professional sports. She's did um, a lot of what she's wanted to with LSU and um, she's made her impact and made her created a great brand for herself. So I think that name image likeness is a great thing for athletes to take advantage of. And I wasn't a, high, a college athlete, but in high school, if I could get paid for playing tennis, I would have done it too. So, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, Aaron, how do you, how does that factor into your recruiting, uh, or like when you get to the the, the soccer side um, of trying to figure out, you know, is it a good thing, a bad thing, and could it potentially hinder hinder your business going forward? Uh, possibly going forward. Again, if it was to go to League One, those are professional athletes. But at the moment, I mean, it's it's it doesn't really impact me too much. Um, you know, that we're not allowed to pay athletes. Uh, at the USL2 level, it's all pretty professional. Got so it. if anything, if they have a great, you know, great NIL endorsements deals and a huge online presence, that's just of a benefit to us. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's an ability to forge other relationships or just kind of bring a lot of eyes to to our team. Um, so that that actually might factor into bringing those players if, if we can. Um, but yeah, it doesn't it doesn't quite affect us at the moment. So, so pre-professional, I didn't know that that exists, you know, given Summer just talked about, you know, NIL and potentially getting paid in high school and what guy, uh, people are getting paid. Um, I, I believe that the young, the love of the game is okay. I don't know how much further it's going to go. Um, but in the last couple of minutes we have here, I, I'd love to get the, the takeaway or, or kind of the forward-looking aspect of what you both are looking for outside of the program that, that, you know, Summer touched on some of the lessons that she's learned, but um, what are the paths or kind of the blue ocean that you guys are thinking about for businesses or opportunities that, that you're looking forward to being involved with, you know, either as internships or once the program's over. So uh, Oren, why don't you start us off? Yeah. I mean, obviously in addition to running the team, um, you know, I would, I would love to get a position uh, either in a, in a, professional league or at a professional club uh in, in like the strategy department because that basically has touch points in, in every single other department uh and it really informs kind of your decision making you know you work closely with with data but you also work closely with execution um and so that would help my development with my own project but also that that's just the career I've, I've kind of always been drawn to uh it was a source of what i did in the past as well so De definitely something in a, in a strategy department, preferably a soccer, soccer club. Summer. Again, I would just love to see leagues and teams diversifying their front offices even more. I think the NBA did a great job with it, with the inaugural NBA HBCU fellowship and their second year of it. Um, and a lot of their early career programs, um, I would love to see other leagues also implement those same strategies to get um, younger, diver more diverse um, young people working in their offices. And if I can be a part of that, I would love to. If I can even just serve as, you know, an image of representation as a former inaugural NBA HBCU fellow, as a Columbia University HBCU fellow, um, I'm using my platform as an HBCU graduate you know, to promote our HBCU education and give more people that look like me opportunities in sports. Cool. Uh, last question from me, and then Mike, I don't know if you have one, but um, the value of mentorship. So, so who are the people who've helped form the path that you're on right now? Oren, you want to start us off? Yeah. Uh, I mean, so in, in the past, I worked 
closely with the the CEO of, of my old company and and he kind of taught me most of the analytical skills I had before going to this program. Um, His name is, by the way, you don't mention uh, Troy, so. Troy Kuhn, CEO of Serendipity Imports. Uh, yeah. I, I and also my my direct supervisor as well, the marketing director Kelly Fazell, if, if they're ever listening to the Cusp show. Um, beyond that, I, I would say I've I've tried my best to talk to to all my professors um, and, and get to know them a little bit more and ask them questions about my career development. Um, I, th I think it, it'd be a good next step to maybe find a, a clear cut mentor, but I, I try to, you know, reach out to individuals and network and, and get advice from kind of everyone in the industry. Cool. Summer? My um, most prominent mentor probably is actually my boss from the PR agency. She was my professor of my honors program. She was the chair of the honors program and a prof professor of one of my classes at Howard University. And then she actually hired me to come be her assistant for her company, her PR agency. So we've formed such a great bond. She's just taught me so much about the communications industry. And then at the Thunder, when I met the- Oh, her name is what? You guys keep- Oh, Leilani Malin. Sorry, okay. Le shout out Dr. Malin, Leilani Malin of Malin PR. Great woman. She's put me on so much game. Um, so similar to um, at the Oklahoma City Thunder, Natasha Stamper, their first ever DEI officer. I still go to her and ask her questions about the industry and how she's seen it change and what's it's, what it's been like working in DEI and sports. So those are two very special ladies where I hold them very close to me. Cool. Mike, you got a last question here and before we wrap it up? Yeah, I guess for you guys, like what's advice, you know, I know you guys are, you know, I know Oren's like about to get out of the program a little bit, but I know Summer's just started, but like what's advice for people that are maybe looking to embark on the grad school journey or the sports journey generally for you guys? Yeah. Uh, don't, don't ever sell yourself short. If you can, if you can write a good essay and perform well for a couple of years somewhere, uh, you always got a chance to get into a top program. And uh, once you're in it, just seize the day. So I go to I go to all the information sessions. I try to attend as many events as I can. I try to talk to professionals and uh, that's definitely a skill that's skyrocketed here. Like I I did not know how to network when I got in. Uh, I'm definitely still learning, but I feel way, way more confident just reaching out to people than I ever did. I would say ask questions, be curious, be a sponge, be willing to learn from all of the people you have at your fingertips. They have the real life experience um, and don't just, leave it to the classroom, like take these relationships in the next five years, next 10 years. I hope I can call like Professor Favorito up and ask him a question about crisis management or something like that, because I learned that from him. There's no one better to ask than the people who are teaching you right now in your classes. So um, definitely keep those relationships and those bonds open. Cool. And then uh, most importantly, Oren, tell us where people can find out more about wine importing. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> where they can find out more about you and the club. And then Summer, same thing, give out kind of uh, your info for, for where people can find you. Uh, at the moment, you can find me on, on LinkedIn or on Lopez Reed. Uh, you can find Hill Country Lobos on Instagram at HC Lobos. Uh, our website is currently Central Texas Lobos, but we're about to launch our USL2 website. So be on the lookout for that. Um, thank you. Cool. Summer? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn, Summer Brown. I also have a website, www.summerbrown.info, where you can see some of my communications materials, my news packages from Howard and from the Oklahoma City Thunder. Cool. This has been great. I mean, I didn't think I was going to go from 
wine importing to owning a soccer team to learning about HBCUs in probably about 35 minutes, which was great. So, um, but Mike, uh, any parting thoughts in the last uh, couple minutes we got here? Yeah, I'll be quick. Um, you know, both for both of you guys. I mean, I've been able to talk to both of you guys about a little bit about this experience. So it's cool to kind of hear more in depth about it. You know, I, you know, both of you guys are doing incredible things. So continue to keep that positivity and continue to do what you're doing because it's definitely inspiring other people as well who are embarking in their own sports journey. So thank you. Cool. Yep. And, and last thing I would say, mention the people, the names you're around you. <laughs> Don't forget to do that. Anyway. Um, so once again, uh, uh, Oren Lopez-Reed, Summer Brown, two of our students, one just starting, one wrapping up and going on to a pretty interesting opportunity as an owner of a professional soccer team in Texas sometime this summer. Um, thanks for joining us on the Cust Show. Again, I'm Joe Favorito. From sitting in for my co-host, Tom Richardson, joined by our producer, sometimes host, Mike Schredder. Um, thank you for listening, and we will see you down the road.